0: This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org. Welcome to a recap of our latest Third Thursday webinar. Hear directly from expert panelists as they discuss Parkinson's research and answer your questions about living with the disease. Join us live next time by registering for an upcoming webinar at michaeljfox.org.
1: and thank you so much for joining us. I'm Dr. Rachel Dolan, Vice President of Medical Communications at the Michael J. Fox Foundation, and I'll be your moderator for today's webinar. Today, we're discussing ways to manage stress, anxiety, and uncertainty, feelings all of us are experiencing to at least some extent during this time. We're so glad to be able to come together to share our experiences, offer tips we hope will be helpful, and to answer your questions. Being with others and having a sense of community as we'll talk about is so important during this time. So even though you can't see us or the other listeners, I want you to know that there are almost 6,000 people who registered for this webinar. That's 6,000 people with Parkinson's, their loved ones, care partners, care providers, and researchers who are all here together. And behind the scenes, There are five Michael J. Fox Foundation staff members working from their homes who will be answering your questions throughout the hour. We've got a lot to discuss, so let's get started. A brief overview of our agenda. We'll talk about stress, how to be mindful, ways to manage anxiety and feelings of loneliness, and finding balance during this time. So let me introduce our panelists. Lori Mishley is a naturopathic physician and Parkinson's disease researcher. Hi Lori, and thank you for being here.
2: Hi, thanks for inviting me.
1: Natalie Kogan is the founder of Happier and author of Happier Now. Welcome, Natalie. I'm really grateful to be joining all of you, thank you. And last but not least, we have Dan Connell, who has been living with Parkinson's since 2013. We're so glad to have you with us, Dan. I'm honored to be here, thank you for inviting me. So let's dive in because as you saw, we've got a lot to talk about and a lot of what I hope will be helpful discussion. So stress and Parkinson's, Lori, we're all feeling a lot of stress right now, but people with Parkinson's may feel stress in in different ways. And as you see on the bottom of the slide there, a Fox Insight survey showed that people with Parkinson's reported more stress and increased symptoms compared to people with Parkinson's. So, Lori, can you tell us a little bit about stress and how it can affect people with Parkinson's?
2: Yeah, I think many people with Parkinson's will tell you that their initial symptoms came on during a period of stress. And almost every patient will tell you that symptoms are worse during periods of stress. We even have rat research that says um, stress makes motor symptoms worse. But not all stress is bad. You know, I think it's really important to say that stress is just how the body adapts to changes and adjustments in their life. There's good stress and bad stress. Planning a wedding, traveling is stressful, but it's good stress. It's called eustress. There's also distress, which I think a lot of people are kind of trying to navigate right now. There's also physical stress, like, you know, going through a surgery, taking a fall, and emotional stress, which you sometimes feel with you know, more rapid heartbeat, you start breathing through the upper part of your chest, your hands and feet get cold, it's hard to focus. So this becomes a really complex issue and each person sort of manifests their stress and handles it differently.
1: I think that's such a good overview and so important to remember, I think. Um, We we see on the screen there exercise. We get so many questions about, you know, my my tremor gets worse when I exercise. You know, that's a a great example about a, a good stress exercise bringing out symptoms, but, as Again, we're all experiencing this heightened stress and, and that bringing out more symptoms. So, Dan, can you tell us a little bit about your stress and, and how that has manifested itself in your Parkinson's, maybe even before and, and during this, this period of COVID?
3: Sure. Well, I think you know, having PD and being diagnosed with PD is stressful in and of itself. Um, And then layering on top of that the the whole COVID atmosphere and the turbulent times and the uncertainty of of the, the world around us in, in addition to the uncertainty of sort of the world within us and, and, and the Parkinson's side of things um, is, is, is for me at least, and, um sometimes synergistic. It's just created more stress. Uh, and that's and, and, and on top of that, the, the, the sort of the change in our lack of schedules because things are just all different today than they were a month and a half ago um, has meant things worked down. As a concrete example, medication schedules. Um, you know, my, my medication schedule is not as rock solid as it had been, and it's taken me several weeks, so to get it, um, back to where it should be because I wasn't getting up at the same time. I was going to bed at the same time, and it was just—it was harder to manage. So, um, you know, the, the stresses of living day to day has translated into sort of real world practical problems or issues um, that that most people who don't have PD don't have to worry about.
1: I think that's so important to highlight, and and you see the bottom bullet there that that stress itself can make your medication feel like it's not working as well, but not taking your medication on time or on a regular schedule or getting out of the routine of things can can be a stressor in and of itself. So it's really important right now to make sure that you're staying on top of things and, and being more in a routine and more in a schedule.
3: Uh, I was going to say the bottom bullet that medications can seem less effective. I know, some, you know for me at least sometimes uh, when I'm stressed out, it almost feels like I skip a dose. It's, it's, it, 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 the impact is much greater than when I'm not stressed out. So you know, being aware and cognizant of that and how you plan your day is important.
2: Definitely. This is Laurie. I- can i can I just add to that I think a lot of patients that causes more stress when their meds don't work, and when during periods of stress, I find a lot of people fearing that their disease is progressing because they what the meds that used to work aren't working so well right now, and I think just hearing that stress does change the way you metabolize and utilize your meds and that it is very common that people will need a little more medication during periods of stress and when that period of stress is over, you go back to your old dose. This isn't progression, it's just your body coping.
1: That's really important and and speaking of ways to cope and ways to manage, let's get into the meat of it because Stress is all around us, and it's different for everyone, and there are different ways to manage it. For some people, it's exercise. For other people, it's journaling, maybe meditating. Mm -hmm. But being mindful is something that we hear about a lot. And in that Fox Insight survey I just mentioned where people with Parkinson's said they experienced more stress and more symptoms because of their stress, almost 40% of people said they practiced mindfulness to manage stress. But Natalie, we hear a lot about it, but oftentimes we don't really know what mindfulness is. So, can you tell us a little bit more about some of the definitions for mindfulness and how we can bring mindfulness into our daily lives? Absolutely. And,
4: you know, I I just need to say uh, from the outstart that, you know, I teach emotional health skills and mindfulness, but I used to be a skeptic of all of this for most of my life because it just was very abstract. And so, um, mindfulness, the way that I think about it, is rooted in awareness, right? We can all relate to um, the example that I often use of like you have your morning coffee, you fill it up, you sit down, and then the next time you look down, the cup is empty. You had your coffee, but you don't remember having the coffee because it's just automatic. And so much of um, our lives we actually spend in a mindless state, and some of that is incredibly helpful because we need to do some things and automatic. But the challenge uh, comes is around the fact that if we are not mindful, if we are not practicing awareness of how we feel, that it actually can lead to us accumulating stress and accumulating anxiety. And so. The way that I very simply think about mindfulness is just noticing. It's noticing how you feel. It's pausing several times a day to actually check in with yourself, which not many of us do naturally, um, to just say, how am I feeling? And there are um, a couple uh, very simple, but really important and rooted in research practices that I just wanna share about, well, how do we actually practice it and how do we use those practices to boost our well-being? And the first is around acceptance. You know, acceptance doesn't mean that you, whatever happens, happens, that we're throwing up our hands in the air. Acceptance is really the skill of learning to see how things are and how we feel with clarity instead of judgment, instead of any kind of harshness. I shouldn't feel this way or this shouldn't be happening. The should is um, the judgment. And that's where so much of our uh, struggle comes from, stress comes from as if we get stuck there. And so by practicing acceptance and using that first step to just say, well, how am I feeling? And for so many of us, it's really challenging to feel the difficult feelings. It's hard to feel fear or loss or sadness. Um, I'm not suggesting these are fun feelings, but research shows that when you allow yourself to feel a difficult feeling without trying to distract yourself, without immediately trying to you know, push it down and not feel it, when you allow yourself to feel it without judgment, with just clarity, you actually get through it in a shorter amount of time and with less intensity. And that is because you're not wasting your emotional energy fighting with your feelings. And so that's a A really powerful practice the first step of acceptance
1: and then the second step is interrupt you for one second there and and Dan I'll just bring you in for a moment because I think acceptance is something that people with Parkinson's are, are probably really accustomed to and we talk about this a lot with the diagnosis, which is really, really tough and, and hard to acknowledge and accept. And there's a, a, a big moment around accepting what that means and what that looks like for the future and the uncertainty of the future. And so I think there's been a lot of that, that we've discussed in this moment that we're all living in now of accepting the uncertainty and the fear and the anxiety of where we all are. And so sort of bringing, bringing that into this moment, I think, is really powerful.
3: I, I, I agree. I mean, I think that uh, um, one of the things that uh, – one of the hardest parts about the, the diagnosis is um, you know, the acceptance. And, and, and it's not just an acceptance on this on particular – at a particular point in time. It, it's an ongoing acceptance because, um, you know, change your, your health status change and you know, there's a progression and it's sort of an ongoing process of continual acceptance and the continual acceptance of differences and changes um, and I think that uh, um, being able to do that and cope with that um, it hopefully can help make the, this community the PD community more resilient um, to some of the outside stressors um, and being mindful and being aware of the fact that you're constantly changing um, your, your your acceptance of your yourself and your disease is constantly changing will hopefully make it easier for us to to think about accepting the outside world and and being accepting of, of the uncertainty of the outside world, and I think the, the mindfulness is mindfulness ideas are, are, are terrific. I mean, I, I try and um, you know, for me that, that involves you know going for you know, a walk in in our local park, you know, at, at socially acceptable distances, of course, um, every day, and just being being around the springtime flowers and the and the trees, and and just enjoying you know being in nature. Um, or, or getting on the phone with friends and, and chatting for a few minutes, not about anything you know, earth-shattering or important, but just you know, just I mean, what's happening the other day. Um, just sort of being in the moment, present, and being with other people present in the moment, or by by myself present in the moment, um, is is incredibly powerful.
1: But I think actually, yeah, Dan, bring up
4: just bring up such a great um, point around you know, going for a walk or chatting with friends, because the other part of acceptance that I think is really important is once you become aware once you truly become aware of how you feel how things are to ask yourself what is something that i can do to help me feel a little better right that may involve reaching out to a friend right like i love that you're talking about chatting with friends or going for a walk or looking at nature whatever that is it doesn't have to be earth shattering but taking that one step to say okay what is something small that i can do to serve myself to serve this moment to honor myself is actually really powerful and i love the example that you shared and um when you talked about you know enjoying nature enjoying what you're seeing, that's the practice of gratitude you know there's um, so much research that shows that when we practice gratitude which is very simply just zooming in on things in our lives that are good that are beautiful or kind or connected or loving especially during a challenge, gratitude becomes a really powerful source of resilience because all of our brains are much more sensitive to what's wrong um, naturally. It's part of the the way that our brain helps us survive. It's very sensitive to negative stimuli because usually danger comes with negative stimuli. What happens when we're in a challenging situation, which is where we all are right now, is that negativity bias gets even more sensitive. So the brain is looking at all of this uncertainty we're going through and saying, I think I see danger. And so your negativity bias gets even more sensitive. So it's easier to feel down. It's easier for um, to read one news article and to feel really, really down. And practicing gratitude is the best antidote because when amidst the challenge, you ask yourself okay things are challenging is what is something that i am grateful for and you answer that question and the more specific you can be with your gratitude the better that tells your brain that the challenge the stress it's not everything that there is more in your life that is good and that is an incredibly powerful source of resilience that actually helps the brain not descend into a negativity spiral and so um, i love dan when you were talking like just the tone of your voice going for a walk and enjoying nature you're practicing gratitude. And so, the more that you can be intentional about that during this challenging time, not only do you give yourself these moments of feeling a little uplifted, but you're helping yourself be more resilient because um, you're kind of dampening that negativity bias that our brain naturally has. It,
3: it, it's interesting. For me, it, it's also doing it without pressure. I think there's, there's, um, you know, in 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 this sort of you know COVID environment, and there's so much outside pressure to you know learn Mandarin or you know learn how to do some some new new exotic cooking or you know use the time for something you know you know earth-shattering and and different and transform yourself. And and for me at least, it's just you know trying to get through day by day and you know hour by hour. And I think you know the simple things are often the the most satisfying, and easiest things. They're not daunting. They're not hard to start. Just you know, put one foot in front of the other and go for a walk. Just enjoy being outside. Do things that. You know, don't, I don't feel like I have to you – know, everything has to have you know, a deep, intense meaning, but just has to just bring some, some gratitude, enjoyment, and, and, uh, and you know, present experience, and, and that's enough for a day.
4: I love the way you said oh. that, Dan, and I love that you are bringing up the point about not feeling pressure to do some huge do thing because um, that's really a part of self-care is to just recognize that we're all going through something incredibly challenging you know, people have been calling this the new normal. There's nothing normal with what we're going through. It's so hard. And to not expect some impossible new things from ourselves. But as you say, to just focus on practicing that awareness of how we feel and asking ourselves, what is something simple that I can do? Like the examples you've given. I love that.
2: I was just going to add, I I really love this idea of your internal compass, like checking in with yourself and not making comparisons to the Mm. external world. I remember, um, my very first yoga class as a 19-year-old. I remember the yoga teacher saying, <laughs> "If you're looking, if you're looking at the person next to you, you're doing it wrong." I, I'm, right. I'm like, laughing because
3: was... I, I, I I went to my first yoga class after I was diagnosed with PD, and I you know and, and I just you know I I you know, was astounded that people can move their bodies in in any positions, let alone the positions they were moving <laughs> them into.
1: <laughs> yeah. And speaking of yoga and meditation, these are ways to be mindful, but there are so many others. Can you tell us a little bit more about the, the different ways to practice mindfulness? And and we're also getting a question, if you can maybe start, and, and then Natalie, you can add in, what's the difference between mindfulness and meditation?
0: So
2: we asked I'm doing this big, huge survey of people with Parkinson's disease, and we're asking questions about people who feel a lot of stress and people who practice stress management. And we can see that people who have a lot of stress are progressing faster and people who practice stress management are are progressing slower, but we don't know what that means. Um, I will say that meditation is is a very active process you are working. So so there is an autonomic nervous system that controls kind of the fight or flight or rest and digest part of the body. And over the course of a minute, the body is constantly oscillating between these these two sides of the uh, teeter-totter. And in Parkinson's disease, that's a little out of shape. That doesn't work so well. People tend to get stuck in fight or flight. It's um, It's like having your foot on the gas pedal. It's hard to let up. And so Meditation is act, is very active, like exercise, for the rest and digest part of the nervous system. You actually work and focus on doing nothing. If your brain starts to stray, you you consciously acknowledge it, you don't judge it, and you bring your attention back to your breath. and And so. It's different than just relaxing, taking a stroll, unwinding. It's actually like it exercise for the calming part of your nervous system. So, tools to do that.
1: so, yeah, and I think this is so important to point out here because, I, you know, Lori, when we were talking about having this call, you said, I don't know if I'm the person to talk about meditation because I can't meditate. And I think people try to force themselves to meditate. And for a lot of people, it's a great thing. meditation practices. So there are so many different types of meditation. They're not all just sitting there and holding a mantra or trying to focus on your breath. There are different visualization practices or being kind to yourself or thinking about being compassionate. So there's a, a many different variety of practices for meditation, number one, but if meditation isn't for you, that's okay too. It's just important to try different things and make sure that you're doing something that works for you as far as mindfulness is concerned. My, and I just wanna add something, go. Rachel, that I find
4: so helpful. So Dr. Ellen Langer, she's a professor at Harvard. She's really considered kind of the mother of mindfulness and. Her definition of mindfulness really stuck with me because I'm one of those people who spent most of my life thinking, I could never meditate because that's just sitting cross legged in a dark room for half an hour. No way. Like my thoughts are all over. Her definition of mindfulness is noticing new things about the familiar things. And um, that's been really helpful for me. So I wanted to share. So even if you just, you know, go for a walk, like Dan, you were talking about going for a walk, I take a daily walk. One of the things you can do is, go for a walk and give yourself a little challenge. I'm gonna notice five new things on my walk. They can be, you know, I see a new bird or a new flower, a new person, whatever that is. But in that act of noticing, what what that does is it, it brings us to the present moment. And that is really the goal of meditation and the goal of mindfulness is to not run away with wherever our thoughts are going, which is usually in the past or the future, but to be in the present moment. And so I just uh, what Dr. Ellen Langer, the way she's talked about it, has been really helpful for me. I don't sit and meditate in a dark room. I do go for a daily walk. And when I do practice noticing or even noticing things, um, she talks about like when your loved one you know, enters the room for the first time, can you notice a couple of new things about them? It can be really small. Mindfulness just helps us to be in the present moment.
1: Yeah, I think that's really helpful. And just, you know, being aware of your, your body and how you're breathing or how you you know, if your palms are sweaty or your heart is racing or, or those sorts of things, I think, you know, or looking around yourself exactly like you're saying, that's mindfulness. It doesn't have to be a real intense exercise. Um, I will mention, too, in the resource list, there are a couple of um, free online guided meditation practices that are available, but again, there are many, ask your friends, ask other people in the Parkinson's community what works, what doesn't work, and just try a few different ones out to see what works for you. And so, on that note, I'd like to move on and, and talk a little bit more about some of the things we started talking about a little bit earlier. Some of the ways that you can think about to ease mood changes like anxiety, depression, and feelings of loneliness and isolation that can be particularly amplified during this time. Now. We, we talked about mindfulness, which is, which is one good way, and meditation, yoga, and those sorts of things. But, again, stress comes in many different ways, and it brings out many different feelings. So I'd like to talk about a couple of the different things on this slide. And, and Dan, you found a couple ways to do a lot of these things, despite the restrictions that are in place right now. We know that maintaining and building connections are so important and, and keeping active is really important for Parkinson's, for mood, for general well-being. And, and those are two that you really found creative ways to, to stay in touch with. So can you tell us in particular about your community and about your exercise?
3: Sure. Um, so uh, one one of the things that I found incredibly helpful that uh, uh, a small group of friends, a couple, uh, one person with Parkinson's and a couple people without Parkinson's, uh, and we get together a couple times a week on a, on a Zoom call and just just catch up and and chat and and and, uh, and talk. And and we actually end each uh, each call with a, a short meditation. And it's really, um, you know, and, and I think you know, kind of you know, back the meditation. You know, they're just, they're just, we're just quiet with each other, just sort of be be with each other, you know, together in the same space, you know, virtual space, I guess. Um, and and you know, beyond that. Uh, you know, talking to friends, you know, making time and, and you know, making the deliberate, um, intentional effort and taking the energy to make the phone call, to, to, to reach out to someone to see how they're doing. Uh, and to not just, uh, not just being a recipient of care, but to being, a, being somebody who reaches out and, and, and tries to um, engage with other people has really um, been a powerful way to, uh, for me at least, to, to, to navigate some of the, the social isolation um, that comes from just being in your
1: house all the time. And I like that you said you actually went from once a week to to three times that, (laughs) three times a week. You knew that. Community and connection was so important during this time.
3: So, yeah. so with this, this particular group of friends, like you know, we we had got together once a week basically for you know for coffee and in person. Uh, and then uh, you know, about a month and a half ago, we decided to get together virtually when when all the when social distancing became uh, a new word in our vocabulary. And, and we've since moved to uh, to Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And it's you know it's you know it's not for you know, the, the conversations are not not always earth shattering or or uh, life changing, but it's just good to be with friends and in the same. And, and, uh, and be together um, and sometimes it's a half an hour, sometimes it's an hour and, and we just catch up. So it's really, it's a wonderful way to, to keep in touch with people and, and to stay social. And I, th- I think that one of the challenges of, with PD is that it, it, it tends to make your world smaller in many respects, it's hard to move around, it's, it's hard to get around, it's hard to be understood. Uh, so the circles kind of close in uh, and, and reaching out and, and, and making yourself uh, get out into the, to the world and being part of the community uh, really is, is helpful in so many ways.
1: And and staying active, too, again, so important, but, but different in this time. A lot of people with Parkinson's find that their group exercise program is their social support and, and their way to keep them motivated. How have you found creative ways or, or new ways to stay active during this time, Dan?
3: So, you know i i have so I, I work out at home a little bit but for, frankly I find that kind of boring um so I've tried to be outside more and and, and really push myself when I go for my walks and, and you know make make them longer and longer and and really try and um, you know stretch more and and be be out, active and outside more but I also in some online classes and that's that's you know it's different um you know i I, I come kind of person I like being in a room with other people when I work out. Um, and, and sort of the, the Zoom workout or the workout with somebody in the screen across from you who, who knows you is the next best thing, um, and it's, it's, it's worth trying. And, and, and I've actually you know, kind of met a couple other people through that process. Um, that I hope after this is all, uh, you know, behind us in one way shave form, um, I'll get to meet in person. You know, I guess meet in person live.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's it, it's so great to hear how people are. are being creative and being innovative and and keeping up their activity around this time. One of the other um, ways, you know, Dan, you talked about this with keeping your connections and and sort of the check-ins that you've been doing that have helped you but are also helping others. And and Natalie, you talked about how helping others is a way to boost your mood but also be kinder Mm -hmm. to yourself. So I'd like you to expound on that a little bit. Well, um, and I uh,
4: absolutely, I mean, one of the things about kindness um, is that it, the, the fastest way to feel a little bit better is to do something kind for another person. Um, I think we all know that kindness feels really good, but particularly when we are stressed, um, doing something caring and kind for someone else, it does two things. First of all, it just makes us feel uplifted. Anytime you do something kind, your brain releases serotonin, which we know makes us feel good. But more importantly, especially given the isolation many of us are feeling right now, when you do something kind, it helps you feel less alone. It helps you feel that you belong, that you have people in your life you care about, and that is incredibly powerful. That's something we need as human beings. Um, And one of the things that um, I have found in just talking to folks um, during this time is uh, how much, and Dan, you mentioned this, how much simple things really matter So you may not think that, you know, checking in on a friend or texting a colleague to just say, how are you? How are you hanging in there? You may not think it's anything of a big deal and meaningful, but it's huge because what that tells the other person is someone is thinking about them. They feel less alone. And so I really encourage you to become intentional about your um, kindness practice. And the simplest way to do that is to check in with other people. And checking in is one of those things, um, it's simple to do, but it actually has two components. The first is just to let the person know you'd like to know how they're doing. And the second is to listen to what they have to say without you know, if they're worried about something or sad, which many people are right now, without trying to fix it or make any suggestions, to just be there for them. And I think that's one of the biggest kindness gifts we can give to each other. I just wanna share, someone shared with me, uh, something she's been doing that I found such a great idea. I'm going to, I've started doing it. And she said, she looks at her phone contacts once a day and she picks one or two people and she reaches out to them. And um, the woman who is doing this told me she's just connected with some people she hasn't talked to in 10 years and rekindled some old, old friendships. And I think we all have an opportunity right now to reach out more, to check in with people more. And by doing that, to actually make ourselves feel more connected, which helps us get through this really challenging time.
1: I love these tangible and actionable practices that you're giving us that are so easy. This this takes less than five minutes to do, right? So it's something Mm -hmm. simple Mm -hmm. that that helps others and and makes you feel good. So I, I love these.
0: Enjoying this podcast, share it with a friend or rate and review it on iTunes. It helps listeners like you find and support our mission. MichaelJFox.org. Thanks for listening. Now, back to the podcast.
1: Lori, I want to bring you back in with the little box there that says Keep Up Care because that looks different in this time, but it's so important, especially not just for the regular kind of maintenance of, of care for Parkinson's, which we talked about with Dan, with making sure that you're staying on top of your medication schedule and those sorts of things. But seeing your doctor, you know, what does that look like, and and how do you make sure that you're you're seeing your doctor for your Parkinson's care, or if your anxiety seems to be higher, what kind of
2: tips can you give people there? Yeah, this is this is uncharted territory and this is new for a lot of people. Some people are jumping up and down about, you know, Medicare has changed their rules and so now they can consult with doctors outside of their state via telemedicine and have access to new providers they didn't have access to a month ago. Other people are freaking out because it's hard to get their battery changed for DVS. I mean, this is really, everyone's being affected by this a little bit differently. I will say um, surprisingly, the majority of my patients are are actually finding it a little bit easier to to connect, to to be a little more aware of their diet, their schedules. It's easier to be conscious when there's less stimulus in your environment, there's less moving around. Um, So I think most of my colleagues are all doing telemedicine these days. And I think, uh, you know, when we started doing it at our clinic, my local patients kind of didn't like the idea. They wanted to come in. But now that we've started, they're saying, I'll never come in again. This is great. I can stay in my pajamas and (laughs) save an hour of traffic and driving. This is fabulous. So I think with with this change comes new opportunities. I think that we, we might evolve the way that we do medicine permanently moving forward because of some of these opportunities we're all having.
1: Absolutely, it's, it's giving us new opportunities, new challenges with it, but a lot to look forward to for the future too. But making sure that during this time we're keeping those lines of communication open, even if it's through the telephone, your doctor is still available, but making sure that you're keeping in touch if things look different. I don't wanna leave the slides without talking about the news because it's everywhere all the time yeah. and it's stressful. So um, Natalie and Dan, I, I want to talk to both of you. But Natalie, I want to start with you because you, you talked about how you realized that the news was really mm-hmm. stressing you out and it was a bad start to your day. Yeah,
4: what I shared was, um, I you know, uh, we live outside of Boston. Our daughter is 15. So we've been on lockdown for about five weeks and she hasn't had school. And earlier this week, I came into the kitchen. My husband was there in the morning and I grabbed my phone, he was sitting there on his phone, and then I realized that this is how we've been starting our morning, because now we don't have to hurry and get breakfast ready and get her to school. We've just been sitting there reading the news or social media for the first half hour of the day, and it was making me feel so heavy and so down to start the day. It was actually making it more difficult for me to get through the day. And so I um, readjusted and I recommitted to starting my mornings in a way that is fueling You know the way that we start our day has a huge impact on how the rest of the day goes Um, if you ever have a bad morning like get up on the wrong side of the bed the rest of the day is likely to be pretty crappy and it's not because there's anything wrong with you it's because of that negativity i I, negativity bias i talked about Um, once you're already stressed or cranky uh little things are more annoying and stressful and so um, i recommitted to myself and for the past few days i've been starting my morning um by reading a few pages of a book that is interesting or fueling in some way. Or um, some days I've actually watched a TED talk just on a topic completely unrelated to anything um, that we're going through. And what I found is I have more energy, um, I have a different mindset. And so I really encourage you to think about um, two things. One is just creating a little ritual to help you start your day in a, in a, Uh, In a a fueling way. It does not have to be long, but just be intentional about it. You know, what are some things you can do in the morning to help you have a better day? You know, it may be um, journaling for some people, a gratitude practice, a short walk, whatever that is. And then the second is to just be really mindful about news consumption. uh, there are there's so much bad news right now. And I'm not sure reading 10 articles gives you any more value or knowledge than reading one. <laughs> and so I just suggest that maybe you um, limit, um, I know some folks have done things like, they only check news once a day, or they only check their local news or whatever that is. But just to treat your news consumption has something on your to-do list so it's not something you're doing mindlessly all day long it's something that you say okay this is what I'm gonna do it now I've done it I've checked it off and I'm done
2: it's not just news I think that can be a trigger I think being mindful is extends into being aware of other areas in our life where we find things and people and situations that trigger us and and mindfully avoiding those um, I told a story when we were preparing for this call about a woman in town who started practicing biofeedback and I wanted to learn a little bit more about what that was. And so I went to her office and she hooked me up to all these machines that measure heart rate and temperature and respiratory rate. And you can see all of your numbers on the screen in front of you. And I was showing off a little bit. She was saying, okay, lower your heart rate by, you know, five beats per minute, increase your blood pressure. Yeah. And I was, I was, I had, you know, 10 years into my yoga practice. I was pretty good at this. And I was kind of getting fancy, lowering my temperature while raising my heart rate. And um And then my phone rang, and my wires got all crossed, the lines went all over the screen, and I couldn't get control of my autonomic nervous system again. And it was just the ring of a phone that set me off. And so, you know, just being aware of that, I have kept my phone on vibrate for the last 15 years. Since I experienced that moment, I saw how how my stress, the stress that is created by the ring of a phone for me. So I think it's not just news, but life that happens and, and how do you moderate that. Absolutely, and being
1: so aware of what your stressors are. So Lori, we're getting a fair number of questions about new or worsening depression or anxiety.
2: What can you tell people about what to do about that? Um, well, there are a couple of things, ranging from from simple to complex. Um, you know, Dan Dan spoke earlier, he said something about going for a walk and preferably in nature. And, you know, it sounds very hippie-esque, but there is this whole field of science emerging from Japan. I think it's called Shinrin-yoku or something like that, but it, it, it translates to forest bathing. And what we find is we can take people and have them stand in a parking lot for an hour or stand in the middle of a forest for an hour, and we can measure inflammation and stress hormones coming down by just standing in a forest, and you don't get that in parking lots. And so, you know, it, it's little things about choosing choosing which environment to surround yourself in and have measurable, meaningful impacts on, on your physiology, so it could be as simple as that. Um, I think there are a ton of foods. There, there are, have been two large studies now that show that, you know, a Mediterranean diet is as effective as the antidepressants for people dealing with chronic depression. I think the science is getting stronger and stronger that a lot of these things, lifestyle modification behaviors can really translate to meaningful difference in in one's quality of life, especially where mood disorders are
1: concerned so um it's it's different for different people it could be you know going for walks in nature it can be your diet for some people it, it is medication could also be talk therapy therapists are very much available virtually as well doing a lot of telemedicine now as you were mentioning so I, I think, too, the key is just making sure that there's an open discussion with your with your
2: doctor, too, and your loved ones about what's going on. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I think that we all handle things like this differently. And we're, um, for, we're talking about a lot of kind of things that are relaxing. But I actually find that learning Chinese, who, who mentioned that earlier, but there are things that I can do that give me a sense of control, that when I learn new skills, new tips, new tricks. When I when I acquire new information, it, it's empowering. It makes me feel like the world might be happening all around me, but there is stuff I can do right here today. And, and there's something for me about education and learning and knowledge that really gives me a sense of power. And that seems to help navigate stressful situations.
1: Yeah. Focusing on what you can control versus what you can't, I think is a big... Big message there maybe a good one for you, Dan. Um, what advice might you offer to help motivate somebody with Parkinson's who was not really active or socially engaged before all this happened?
3: Well you know it's interesting you mentioned what you can do. I mean there's lots of things you can do in your in, in the Parkinson's community and in, in, in your your smaller town or city community in the national community to be involved. In, in lots of different things, um, but in, in terms of you know, making making a, making a difference in, in the Parkinson's community, feeling engaged and active, and 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 and, uh, and feeling like you're making a difference, and there's things you can you can do online studies. I mean, the, the Fox Trial Finder has lots of online studies that you can participate in. Uh, you can you, know, you can take those take those participate in those studies from your home, um, and, and really feel like you know, you're empo- you feel empowered and like you're doing something positive for for the PD community. Um, you know, beyond you know the PD community, you can you know, volunteer to like somebody I can't remember who was saying before about reaching out and calling people and and, and checking in. Um, you know, the, you know just, just because you have Parkinson's doesn't mean you can't volunteer and do things for, for other people, um, and and being being of service to other people is one of the most rewarding things and for me at least, and, and and things that makes me feel best about myself. Um, okay. And it doesn't have to be anything uh, huge or earth shattering, but just you know, ch- checking with somebody else and, and seeing how they're doing and seeing if there's anything you can do for them to make their their day better um, can be an incredibly rewarding and, and powerful. Um, Possibly positive experience. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is, is, is the news. Uh, that that whole um, conversation reminded me that when I was first diagnosed, I obsessively I watched the news. I read the news on Parkinson's I, I, every, you know, probably six hours a day for for days and days and days. Finally, my 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 doctor actually had to tell me, "Dan, you're you're, you're medically prescribed to no more than ten minutes of news twice a day." <laughs> so this is your medication, <laughs> um, and I, I kind of followed that, kind of did it, but it kind of it reminded me of what was happening to me as this—the this, whole COVID thing started. Is I was just successfully checking the news, and there's no change. Just like you know, day to day in the Parkinsons news world, there's, there's no change. Um, you know, it's, it's changes slow. It takes time, and and the news today is a lot of it. You remember it's designed to make you to suck you in, to make you worry, to to increase anxiety because that's what makes you watch more. That's what sells commercials, um, and so you know. Understanding that and limiting, the, self-limiting your intake um, is not going to limit the amount of information, but it will just limit the amount of anxiety you take from, from getting that information.
1: So important. Yeah, limiting and, and making sure that you're in control of when you access the information, how much, how long, those sorts of things, going to credible sources. I want to make sure that we spend some time talking about balance and, and how that balance might be imperfect right now. Um, it's something that we, we're all constantly looking for, whether we talk about a, a work-life balance or an emotional balance. But in this time, we're you know we're working from different spaces. Care partners are, are often working longer hours. Parents are, are juggling being teachers to their kids while also working full time and. It's, it's gotten to be a lot for a lot of us. So, Natalie, I, I want to start with you here and and ask you, how can we take a step back and, and slow down and, mm. and move a little bit more toward an even keel?
4: You know, one of the things, um, I actually struggle with the word balance, um, because I think it's really hard. And for me, if I like try to think of like balance, it implies this kind of grand notion. And then I just get really intimidated because my life doesn't feel that way. So, One of the ways I encourage you to think about balance is kind of um, moment by moment or hour by hour. And um, it doesn't mean that every hour will be balanced. So there are hours in my day where I'm all work, work, work. And I don't see my daughter, even though she's home from school. Um, And then what I try to do is when I'm with her, I try to be really with her. And it really goes back to mindfulness, right? It's just being in the moment you're in. That's a huge um, source of feeling balanced for me. When we are multitasking, and by the way, it turns out none of us can multitask, we just switch tasks. Um, So when we are multitasking or when we're trying to do a bunch of things all at the same time, that's incredibly stressful for the brain. Um, And that actually um, what helps me uh, stop myself from doing it is it makes us less effective at, at any of the tasks we're doing each time we, we switch tasks like that, we're actually losing 25% of our effectiveness, which is what I remind myself when I'm tempted to like, look at my email as I'm talking to my daughter. Um, so that's my first suggestion is to just think of, um, how can you be fully present in the moment you're in? So if you have to work, can you like put away other distractions and work? If you're with your kids or a partner or a loved one, can you just be there? Um, that's actually um, helps reduce stress quite a bit. And the other thing I want to highlight is um, it's incredibly important to take short breaks throughout the day, um, even a 10-minute break. So um, it, it, it can be something incredibly simple, just like having your favorite cup of tea or um, coffee and just not looking at your phone, not multitasking, or reading a few pages out of a book, like I mentioned I'm trying to do that in the mornings, going out for a 10-minute walk. A 10-minute break during the day um, really helps the brain get into more of that equanimity balance space. Um, there's a lot of research that shows that if you can get a five to 10-minute break outside um, during the day, it boosts your mood right away. It helps reduce stress. Um, and it doesn't have to be sunny. People ask me if it has to be sunny. And I love um, Lori listening to you about talking about forest bathing. It's a um, a growing field, but you don't have to be in a forest, just fresh air for five to 10 minutes. And so think, consider scheduling um, what I call a 10 minute self-care reset on your calendar. Um, I, mine is, just so you know, it's at 4 p.m. every day because my energy wanes in the afternoon. It's common for many of us. But Find a time in your day and just put it yourself a reminder to just self-care reset. And again, it can be something as simple as a 10-minute break. But when you take that brain, you help your brain essentially catch up to where you are, to process a little bit, um, to catch up to your own thoughts. And it can be, it seems like not a big deal. And so many people have shared this with, like a 10-minute break, how could it make a big difference? It really makes a really meaningful difference.
1: I love how you talk about this literal break in, in the middle of our day or, or whenever we need it. But you also talked about, in, a, in essence, a, a bigger break during this time, that we don't yeah. have to expect that because it seems like maybe we have more unplanned time. We have to clean out our entire basement or yeah. whatever. We can really give ourselves a break. Can you talk more
4: about that? Yes. And that's really the practice of self-compassion, right? What is self-compassion? Self-compassion is treating ourselves as we would a friend, right? And um, I've used this example before, you know, if in the middle of this uh, worldwide pandemic, a friend says to you, oh my God, um, I can't believe I haven't yet cleaned out all our closets or, you know, we're in a worldwide pandemic, but I cannot believe I've not started learning a new language. Like what's wrong with me? What would you say to that friend right i don't think any of us would say oh my god you're such a slacker you know how dare you like we would say something really kind we would say like well of course you haven't cleaned out your closets we're in the midst of a worldwide pandemic you're juggling so much you have kids at home whatever that is and so i really encourage you to treat yourself with the same compassion and give yourself a break in expectations. You know, our expectations of what we should be doing, what we should be accomplishing, what we should be getting done, um, need an adjustment right now. We need to, again, recognize all the things we've talked about, right? How much stress we're all experiencing right now. Stress takes energy. Stress takes the energy of your brain. And so we literally have less cognitive capacity right now for new things. And so it's this consistent practice of, being compassionate towards ourselves in our expectations and i'll share something that um, we do these um, webinars for our community and i shared this yesterday and it really resonated so i want to share it here you know how when you have chinese fortune cookies and you know you take out the fortune and you read it and it's like a funny college thing you like you add in bed at the end just to make it funny so when your mind goes to like oh my god i didn't get this thing done i want you to add amidst a worldwide pandemic Okay, like, oh, I should really be learning a new language amidst a worldwide pandemic or how how come I didn't clean out my closets amidst a worldwide pandemic to just practice like it's really been working for me when I get into that like overachiever like oh, all these things I'm not getting done. It really helps me just like laugh at myself a little bit and say like, um, this isn't normal. And so I just encourage you to treat yourself as you would a friend and when you find yourself in the should space, I should be doing this, I should be doing this, maybe you can pause and very simply um, just consider, especially if you're kind of being harsh in that tone of voice towards yourself, can you pause and can you imagine that you're talking to a friend that you love or a loved one or someone you really care about, what would you say to them? And um, I think in that moment, I hope for you, there's that awareness um, of just being kind towards your own expectations right now.
1: Is there anything you can add in in acknowledging how how tough this can be with self-care during this time when care partners might be taxed a little bit more as far as, you know, more self-compassion can can be added to the mix right now or or more mindfulness. What would you say to care partners right now?
2: I I'll say um, you know, my my mantra is kind of B plus is good enough. Um, you know, I don't I don't think any of us need to strive to get in a in our life situation. I think good enough, especially right now, is plenty. And and I'll second the compassion thing, I'll second the gratitude thing. I, I think that it, it really for me comes down to mindset and a perspective shift. You know, we can't change what's happening to us, but we can change how we respond to it. Uh, a couple of years ago I said to somebody that I felt like I was swimming, I was in the ocean, and these huge waves just kept coming and pummeling me over and over. And I remember my friend saying, sounds like it's time to find a surfboard and learn to surf, right? And that was <laughs> such a good analogy for me to realize. That the waves are going to keep coming. The stress of this life, <laughs> this situation is still here, but we can change how we handle what's coming at us.
1: It's all about perspective, isn't it? I want to take us through our last slide and then to uh, some more questions. So just want to make everyone aware about ways that you can stay connected to our community through all of this. So, Certainly through these types of educational opportunities, we'll have more coming your way, one on telemedicine, which we talked about in the near future, but also more Facebook Live watch parties, ways for you to tell us that you're staying active, how you're staying active. And as Dan mentioned, you can also participate in online research from your home. So Fox Insight is our online observational study where we're learning more about the lived experience of Parkinson's and there will be more studies coming your way there soon. So to get to more questions, which are, have been coming through throughout the hour, um, Lori, I'll go back to you. We're getting some questions specifically around symptoms. We talked a little bit at the beginning of the hour about stress, so tell us a little bit more about how symptoms can worsen with stress, and is that permanent, is it
2: temporary, does it indicate that the disease is worsening, how do you manage it? Yeah, so um, without getting into med management stuff, I will say the tremor is almost helpful for some people because you have this external barometer that tells you when you're getting stressed and not. Some people will identify their their stress going up because their tremor is telling them so. And so I think for people who don't have a tremor, it's actually a little harder to be self-aware of, of when your body is responding to stress. Um I think that the the easiest kind of way to identify if any one of us is under stress is you can just kind of sit, sit quietly and put one hand on your upper chest and one hand down by your belly. And if your rest and digest part of your nervous system is dominant, your belly will expand with each breath. If you're in a higher stress state, what will happen is that top part of your chest will go up and down. And so you can kind of see if it's your top or your bottom hand that's moving, and and that will kind of tell you where your nervous system is at. The patient certainly experiences, you know, worse motor symptoms, worse tremor, Um, and it's very temporary. It is very temporary. I have a lot of patients who say, you know, I take one pill four times a day. That's great. That works for me except if I'm traveling. When I'm at an airport going through security, I need an extra half tab because the stress of getting my shoes off, getting my stuff on the bin. And it's not just motor, it's, it's all the background noise, the stimulation. Um, other people take an extra half tab before they go play pickleball with a friend. And so it doesn't matter if it's good stress, bad stress, I think many people with Parkinson's have come to understand that when when there's a lot of commotion or demands being placed on them, their need for dopamine is greater. Um, the analogy I'll use is it's like driving a car, you know, at 100 miles an hour, you get worse gas mileage than if you're going 25 miles an hour on a country road. And so this this stressful thing that we're all experiencing right now is is high performance you are asking more of your body and your nervous system it is only natural that you're going to burn through your dopamine faster so no it's not progression it's just you're asking more of your body and it's not unreasonable to talk to your doc first but say can i can i up my meds a little bit in the afternoon i'm finding my work my my symptoms are worse when x y and z happens for a lot of people, um, that's very, very helpful. And as soon as they get a grip on the situation or the stressor passes, they go back to their old dose. This is not progression. It's temporary. That's really, really helpful clarification. Thank you so much. Dan.
1: a question for you. A lot of people are experiencing being more tired than usual, sleeping more, sleeping less. Is there anything that you do to help your sleep?
3: Yeah, I think the, the, the biggest thing that I should do that I'm I'm not always as good as I could be about it, is is putting the devices away, putting them in a different different room and not having the temptation to, to you know, wake up at night and, and immediately check my email or you know, check the news or, or do all the things that I've I've spent the last half an hour telling myself I shouldn't be doing. <laughs> um so um, and, and it's, it's, it's really more of a challenge than, than, than it should be. I mean, I, I, actually, we have to create a separate drawer in our kitchen where, where our whole family will <laughs> literally put their devices in the drawer at night and, and closes the drawer. and like, you know, you know, sometimes I think we should have a, a a lock on it, um, because it's, it's, it's really tempting. It's like, it's like a, it's like a drug and you were all addicted to it and, and it takes more energy than I would like to do that. Um, you know, the other thing is, is, um trying to maintain a regular schedule. Um, you know, when, when everybody, when the kids, yeah, we have two teenage boys um, and, and my wife is home and the tendency is to sleep, you know, stay up as late as we want and, and sleep in and, and you know, that schedule is up, you know, nobody's getting ready for work in the morning because we're, we're all working from home or schooling from home, um, but we're trying more than we have been in the last couple of weeks to just get up when we usually get up and set a time when we get up and when we eat dinner and have lunch and, and maintain a regular schedule because, you know, when, when we're not on a regular schedule, particularly you know, with Parkinson's and all the medication adjustments and timing issues that are, are involved in that, um, you know, things just are harder. Um, and so maintaining that schedule has been, been really helpful as well.
2: One thing I'll add about sleep is I think um, there is a tendency in our culture to to grab a bottle of wine or a glass of wine when, when you start to feel stressed. And I don't know that people realize that, you know, alcohol will help you fall asleep faster, but it absolutely prevents you from getting into the deeper stages of sleep. And even a glass can really impact one's sleep. You're more likely to wake up in the night. You're less likely to wake rested. You're more likely to have temperature dysregulation through the course of the night. And so being aware of some of your tools and habits um, that you think might be serving you but could actually be hurting in the long run is, is just something to be aware of good point. Natalie,
1: if if you're tr- having trouble practicing mindfulness, what else can you try? This person says failing at it is its own kind of stress.
4: <laughs> oh, I hear you. I hear you. Here's the thing. Um one of the um one of the best ways to practice mindfulness is to do something you really enjoy, um because that's when we actually get to a place cuz really again, mindfulness is just being where we are. And so I would ask you to think about what is something you really enjoy doing? Um, A lot of people, you know, really love gardening or cooking or writing or painting or whatever that is. Doing something like that is being mindful. And so for some of us, um, doing something uh, instead of trying to sit and be present um, or even notice things might actually be uh, more doable. So I encourage you to think of something that you really enjoy doing and it doesn't matter what it is, Um, And again, you know, it's hopefully it's safe to do right now. But when you are um, doing something and you're just getting lost in it, and we all know that feeling, like I have a friend who absolutely loves to sing. And when she sings, like, I think like something could fall from the ceiling, she wouldn't notice because she's so in it. That's actually, you know, you've probably heard of the state of flow, right? We're in that state of flow when time kind of moves away. We're not really concerned with our thoughts. So think of something you really enjoy doing and practice mindfulness by doing it, something that I do is I love to paint. Um, it's something that I do purely for joy. I've never taken a class. It's not something I do professionally. And so when I paint, that is one way that I practice mindfulness. It's very active, I'm doing a lot, but in that moment, I'm not thinking about my to-do list or something I should have done, I'm just painting. And so um, that's actually, I'm really glad for the question because I'm glad I'm grateful for the op- opportunity to share that doing something where you are in that moment and really enjoying it is another way to practice mindfulness
1: that's so great i i'd love if each of our panelists could leave our audience with one last statement or tip or piece of advice that you think would be helpful so dan i'll, I'll start with you
3: so i i, I kind of I, i'm just thinking about the the previous slide that said find your imperfect balance um which is okay. i thought was you know you're great for Parkinson's patients. You know, many of our balance is not perfect okay. in, in, in physically, but I think being okay with, with everything being a little out of whack um emotionally and uh and just the in the world is okay too and not, not uh not to let that get to you but but you know to try and find that balance and and uh and and you know do the best you can with it uh, and okay. with understanding that that it, you know the equilibrium will change and and you know okay. that will be okay too.
2: That's great. And Lori? Uh there is a Sanskrit quote that says the best place to meditate is in the mouth of a lion. And I I like that. I think it's so easy to come up with all of these excuses why, well, this is too restless, there's too much going on, I'm too busy. And and we have all these external excuses for why we can't tune in and quiet ourselves. And that's exactly when you need to the most. And so I'll I'll end by the quote the best place to meditate is in the mouth of a lion (laughs) thank you so much
4: and Natalie and I would just remind you of something that my spiritual teacher shared with me when I was in a really difficult dark place um, and that is that you are a being and not a doing and um, there is uh, enough challenges right now without us putting pressure on ourselves to get more done get this done and so um, if you get caught in kind of that overwhelmed cycle just remind yourself that you are a being and not a doing Um, and that also relates to you know um, helping others or connecting with others your presence and your care is the biggest gift and so that's what i would love to leave you with it's just the reminder that you are a being and not
1: a doing Thank you all so much for sharing your time and your expertise with us. And thank you for being part of our community and for joining us today. We'll be sending a link to the webinar on demand to listen again or to share as you'd like. And we really hope you found it helpful. Please mark your calendar for our next webinar, which is on May 21st, where we'll be talking about practical tips and personal viewpoints on being newly diagnosed with Parkinson's. Stay home, Stay safe and stay connected.
0: Thanks for listening. Community members like you are bringing us closer than ever to a world without Parkinson's disease. Learn how you can support the Michael J. Fox Foundation in its mission at michaeljfox.org. This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org.